Hello, my friends. I'm Margaret Petrie, and this is Authentic Obsessions, where, if it goes well, I help creatives in hot pursuit of their lives generate moments of discovery. Today's guest had a discovery about her obsession during our conversation, which was fascinating to watch as she uncovered the real thread that weaves its way through her work. This thought-provoking conversation is with Carol Paik, an artist based in New York, and it went on for about two hours, but don't worry, I edited it down so you don't have to listen to all of our ramblings. Carol is interested in many different media, but really found meaning working with repurposed textiles. After years of buying expensive and often toxic materials for her work, her goal now is to create art exclusively out of the unappreciated, overlooked, landfill destined stuff she finds around her, of which there is never a shortage. She most enjoys taking something that is overlooked and looking at it closely, or taking something too frequently seen and looking at it slightly differently. She's interested in the emotions that we bring to the things we discard, nostalgia, guilt, desire, and loss. And her goal is to give these objects, and by extension ourselves, new possibilities. During our chat, Carol talked about the idea of leaving a mark without marring a landscape, specifically in relation to her Cairn projects, but it got me thinking of that in a broader sense. And she also assured me that sometimes finishing a project is overrated. Permission granted. I'm going to take it. And I loved her interpretation of the yeah, but phrase. During our recording, I think I thanked Instagram in general for our introduction, but it was really Rena Diane, a Vermont artist who suggested I reach out to Carol. So thank you, Rena. And hopefully you'll hear a conversation with her in the near future. Oh, and I did get to sit in the wing chair as I'm recording this intro. I just returned yesterday from a 17 day solo road trip to the East coast. I logged 3,149 car miles across turnpikes and county and city roads and dirt roads. Thank you, Lisa, for that. And to the best of my calculation, about 77 walking miles in forests, on beaches, and up and down many, many flights of stairs. Along with meeting Carol at her installation site in New York, I also got to hang out with Molly Meng in New Hampshire and Lisa Kellner on the coast of Maine. I can't thank you both enough for your hospitality. It was just an amazing, truly wonderful way to begin the next third of my life, if I'm lucky. All right. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Here's Carol. Carol, I'm so excited that you're here today. Thank you for playing the game with me. And no, I can't really say that. No, you can. Why not? That's great. We're playing a game. And just participating in this project that I'm doing because I really went down a rabbit hole when I was doing some research on your projects and your art and reading all of your essays. And I just, I cannot wait to have this conversation. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be really fun. Boy, you really went above and beyond reading that. (laughs) Diving into deep old history there. But thank you so much, Margaret. This is great really pleased to be here. Well, it, it's not a chore. I mean, I started reading those essays that are on your website and you guys, you do have to go look 
and read her writing. And if by chance you have young children right now, it's really going to um, hit home for you because our kids are grown. But um, I remember those days and it took me way back last night. One of the things I read is that right now you're creating art exclusively out of your words, the unappreciated, overlooked, landfill, destined stuff. And as I was looking at all of the different art projects you've been doing, so many, so many different things struck me. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your path and how you got to this point, because it seems like between the 100 day projects, quilts, tapestries, cairns, that you are pretty project based. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, that's a good way to put it. But I, that's a good way to put it. Um, I'm not sure where to start. I think I've always been interested in uh, fabric. I've always been interested in sort of stuff. And sort of separately, I've always been interested in art. And I never thought the two uh, things went together until fairly recently. And when I sort of found people who were making things out of found materials that really was just so exciting to me I didn't sort of know I thought art meant painting photography working with you know traditional materials and that was just a a revelation that you could make art out of um out of these stuff so um that's what I'm doing and it's been great I think I've sort of found what I want to be doing you have a law degree don't you I do did you practice I did. <laughs> you know, I practiced for a total of um, five years. I guess it was about three and a half years full time, maybe four years full time, and then a little bit part time. And now, when I look back on that, that seems like no time at all to do something. But at the time, it was very, I mean, it seemed like forever. And it was certainly a significant period of my life. But, um, but no, I, I haven't practice since my daughter was born, actually. And that was 1997. But it's funny that you say that because I just got an email saying I have to re-register my do my attorney registration so that I'm not, you know, disbarred. Are you going to do it? You know, I always do it. I don't know. I think maybe this time I'll bite the bullet and just disbar me. No, no interest in practicing anymore. No, my God. I mean, I don't even think I could anymore. Everything's completely different the way, um, the way you go about being a lawyer, I think, is completely different from when I was, you know, back then we used to go to a library and look at books and things like that. And that just doesn't happen anymore. So, and plus I have no interest. In fact, I, I mean, I, I sometimes say I wake up in the morning to this day, I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, I don't have to be a lawyer. And it makes me happy all day. Well, so what prompted you to get an MFA in creative nonfiction? Well, you know, I, that's what I always wanted to be. And I, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer. And I think that's sort of how I ended up being a lawyer because I, it, was not, it, it didn't seem like trying to be a writer was really a practical or feasible thing. So I thought, oh, well, you know, I am a good writer or I'm a clear writer, so maybe I could be a decent lawyer. So, you know, I went that route. And... And to be, you know, there are writing skills involved in being a lawyer, at least sometimes, Um, but it wasn't 
you know, the right thing for me at all. And so when my daughter started school, I was able to uh, start a program, an MFA program. And it's just what I always wanted to do. And I was, um, you know, so excited about that. That was really a fortunate thing. And like I said before, you posted some links to some of the writing that you did in the past, and it is just fantastic. So when did you start making things? I want to say making art, but making, making things seems more comfortable to me. I mean, I think I've always made things since I was really little. I like to sew. Um, I never thought I was an artist. I have an older brother who's a really talented artist and, you know, he can draw anything. He's, and that in my mind is what an artist is. And I just thought he was the artist in the family. He was so indisputably talented and, you know, that didn't, I didn't, I wasn't in his category. So I, I made things, you know, I like to sew. I really liked like doll clothes, sewing my own clothes, things like that. Um, and then I, and I always kept doing it. I always liked to sew. I always liked to, I think I always was taking some kind of art class when I was an adult, a drawing class or something like that. Um, but I really never thought I could be an artist or that I had that much talent or, or anything like that. And I think it was I'm trying to think, you know, I think I started doing the stitch face project with my daughter and that was the first time I sort of thought, oh, maybe art can, maybe there's a, a broader definition of what art could be and that, that could include me. So I think that's sort of how it started. Oh, I was taking collage classes at the time, which was great. That was just really um, very liberating just to learn that there were other forms of art. Let's talk about those resting stitch faces, which are just fantastic. And the other thing I love is that, will you tell the story, your daughter Meredith kind of pushed you a little bit to take this out into the public a little more? Yeah, I'm trying to remember how that happened. I mean, I made, I made these, well, they're dolls. I mean, I don't call them dolls because dolls are kind of creepy to me. Like they just kind of creep me out. <laughs> and I also, I gave them little animal ears so that they're not people. They're, they're definitely not people. And I didn't know really what to call them. And then I came up with resting stitch face because you know, resting bitch face is really something that resonates with me. I definitely have it. And, you know, um, and then I think I, one of us, my, my daughter was home. She was taking a semester off from school and we were just, I think I photographed one just in our yard. And then we thought, oh, let's photograph her by Lincoln Center. And my daughter's a, an excellent photographer. So she started doing it. Of course, she's so much better than I am. She would like take a lot of care with positioning them and making a nice, shot you know I was just doing it for a laugh but she made them look really nice so then we we're like oh we should just do this you know as a project so we did one every week and then she went back to school and I had to do the photography and so the quality went significantly downhill but she still would edit them for me and stuff like that and um yeah so that's how it got started it was sort of a joint thing and it was something that I could do with her that was just you know and I could also do it without sequestering myself in a studio, you know, sewing. I've always found that working with textiles is something you can do in a group, whereas like painting or I don't know what you would call it, the finer arts. I don't want to use that term, but you know what I mean? That, that uh -huh. requires much more isolation somehow for me. So um, it was just a really great, fun project. And then of course it evolved into like writing a little post and, and then, yeah. The posts are great. It's, you could just put them all together in a book. 
I think, and I would devour that. I mean, I devoured them on your website, but it might be easier to see them in print. Yeah, it struck me how making art is so solitary, just what you said. Um, And that bringing these out into the world gives you a sense of community and connection. Was it, I mean, you talked about when Meredith went back to school and you had to go do this yourself. It was super weird and not that fun. But, (laughs) But what part of it was super weird and not that fun? Was it the other people staring at you was it being uncomfortable out there? Um, yes yes to all those things I think when the two of us were doing it together well I did enlist some friends to help me too to sort of just come with me and do it with me and that helped but you know you get a lot of kind of odd looks when you're posing your doll in uh, public places and some of the places I actually never, I never had an unpleasant, well, I had one unpleasant encounter in, um, in Chinatown, actually, I was there with a friend, and we went into some place that was, I guess it was sort of like a temple, and I put the doll on the thing, and, and the woman there just started to (laughs) shout at me, and I just, like, I just grabbed the doll and ran away as fast as I could, but, um, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not, like, a, an extroverted person or a person who likes to draw attention to myself. So it was sometimes uncomfortable, but I will say, I mean, we had some of the best encounters with people when we were doing that, you know, we, there was one blog post with the the guys who clean up the gum from the sidewalk. Oh, I mean, it was fantastic. Cause so we catch like, and you never know when these people are going to show up. And I knew I wanted to get, I wanted to do a blog post about this. So I had to like kind of be on the lookout and I and one day were doing it on my blocks. I like ran and got everything. And as soon as they cleaned it, I like took these, started taking these pictures and they saw me and the guy was like, do you want to take a picture with the truck? You know, you want to, and it was just so, it was just like, you would never think these guys would be interested or just think anything other than what, what the hell. But they were so into it. And it was just really, really fun. <laughs> we had a great time. The other good one was I took one to Coney Island and I took the doll to one of the tattoo, (laughs) the tattoo booth. And the guy did a little tattoo, not, or, you know, it's not, it's like the little inky things. Sure. And he did a tattoo on the doll's arm and it was fantastic. I mean, just took it totally seriously. It was like, okay, sit there. It was great. So that was a lot of fun. And not the kind of fun you usually have doing art. So I really enjoyed it. I love how you bring other people into your world in that way. And you know, um, the Gumbusters dude told his family, told his friends, he will (laughs) never forget that day. He won't. You made such an impact on that. (laughs) So would you mind if I read some of the blog posts from that one? Because sure, this is so fantastic. So you titled it Unstuck. And there's this picture of Maple, who's resting stitch face on the ground with her arms out, just kind of relaxing. It's always an exciting morning for Maple when she spies the Gumbusters truck. You never know when they're going to appear, but when they do, you know they bring the promise of a better world, one you may not even know is possible. And then the next photo goes down. It's one of the great mysteries of NYC. From whence all the gum? Maple has never in her life actually witnessed a person depositing gum on the sidewalk. She can't even quite picture it. Do they remove it from their mouths with their fingers and then drop it? If so, doesn't it stick to their fingers? Alternatively, do they just hawk it up and expectorate? 
She's seen all sorts of behaviors on the street, but she has never seen that. And yet the blackish gray, grayish evidence suggests that people one way or another transfer gum from their mouths to the ground all the time. Evidence also suggests that certain areas are more popular for spitting out gum. Like people seem to think it's somehow better to spit it out nearer to the buildings rather than the middle of the sidewalk. And then here's a picture of Dashim in front of the Gumbusters um, truck with maple in his hand. Gumbusters employs a power washing method that maple finds quite exciting to watch. And the Gumbusters take pride in their work. Dashim notices Maple admiring the clean sidewalk and invites her to sit on the truck, a thing she doesn't often get to do. She would like to be friends with the Gumbuster. There's no doubt that when they leave a place, it is nicer than when they first got there. Maple knows that this clean slate, this fresh beginning, won't last long. She sort of gets that people feel free to spit gum onto an already gummy sidewalk. But who is the person who first mars this pristine expanse, and what could they be thinking? I mean, even that last little bit of just sort of made me think about clean slates and fresh beginnings and who's the first one to do the thing. You know, I don't know if you thought about that quite in that depth, but it's just one example of uh, one of these posts and the pictures are fantastic. I don't know if you did this to your daughter, but it's good. Thank you. Thank you. They were so fun. They were really, really fun to do. Do you still have them all? I don't have them all. A lot of them have migrated to people's homes. Um, I have a bunch of them, though. You know, I couldn't quite sell them, really. So I've given them to people. Maybe I've sold a few. They're hanging out. Every time I show them to someone, they either say, oh, they're way bigger than I thought, or they're way smaller than I thought, like one or the other. It's never, oh, they're exactly the size I thought. They're about 15 inches, I guess. So I'd love to go down and talk about a little bit of your projects here. Talk about the quilts. The quilts. So I started uh, the first quilt I did. I went to a workshop with Heidi Park. Do you know Heidi Parks? I do. She's a Wisconsinite. Yes. Right. She's fantastic. And I did a workshop with her in person before the pandemic in Boulder with the Makery. And I just had been so interested in her work. And quilting was one of those things that I've always been interested in but I've always been intimidated by it because I was sure that there was a right and a wrong way to do it and that somehow you learn this from your mother and your grandmother or whatever and I didn't have that so I I I don't know I always thought it was sort of something that was I was excluded from and then I saw her work and she's you know she has this amazing well she's an amazing artist but she has a freedom about her work that was you know, I'd never seen really before. So I took this workshop with her and it was just, and I, that's where I made my first quilt. And it was just so eye-opening. And I just um, really loved it. She said so many things that just, just really took me by surprise. Um, I remember I, I asked her at one point, like, how do you make the edges straight? And she's like, why do you have to make the edges straight? And I just thought, oh, it never occurred to me that you don't have to make the edges straight. And I, I just like those open mouths. And in, in addition to that, you know, the immediate application of what she was saying, it also made me think, well, you know, so often you ask, how do I do this thing? 
without first asking, why do I need to do it? Or why am I doing it? And I just thought I was just really, you know, kind of blown away by that. And the other thing I remember specifically from that workshop was I had brought a lot of really old fabric that I liked and I wanted to use this piece, but it was so fragile. And I said, I don't know, should I not use this? Because I think it's going to tear or wear away. She's like, so then you mend it. That's like so obvious. But again, I was going to let that prevent me from using this fabric. And she just pointed out that that was, you know, an unnecessary concern. And that was amazing to me. Anyway, that's how I started with the quilting was with Heidi. And um, it's just such a great, I, I find it to be a really um great form of expression and of you know use, using fabrics that mean something to you and tell a story that means something to you or or not you know you're also making this this object so it's it's great I love it I love the concept of like nothing is precious because you're right there's this very traditional way of quilt making I made a quilt a couple of years ago never had done anything like that before but I'm very drawn to fabric. And like you, I don't know, I had no formal training. I thought this was something my grandmother had to teach me and my mother. And, and I had these old pieces of clothing and I had a pile of this stuff and I made a quilt out of pretty much all blue and white linen, which is super hard to work with mm -hmm. and cotton and all, you know, repurposed I, I, the only thing I bought was one piece of brightly colored quilting fabric, cotton fabric that I used like little bits of in the quilt. So I put all these pieces together and then I took a quilting class at the local rec center and I went in and everyone, they've got their fancy sewing machines and they're doing their Christmas quilts for their kids and super, mostly super traditional. And I walk in and they just kind of looked at my stuff and I was like, oh God, they're going to kick me out. And they yeah, were like, they probably would. Well, but they were like, wow, what is that? And so the woman who taught me, fantastic woman who led the class really knows her craft, but she was very like, you have to iron it this way and you have to measure this way and you have to do the edges this way. And my quilt is pretty straight around the edges, but I will never do another one like that. <laughs> right. And but the interior looks like yours. I mean, I just sat at night and I'm, I'll never probably put it in the wash. I'm sure it'll disintegrate because I did my own quilting, but there's, but there's such freedom in not doing the thing that makes me uncomfortable because it's the way that it's supposed to be done. Right. If that makes right. sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the quilting, well, it's just very different worlds. I, I went to um, quilt con in 2022. I can't remember what year and it was you know beautiful quilts on display but there was a whole shopping area and I'm going to I'm looking at these booths and they're selling all these things and I and I'm like I don't even know what that word means because you know, because it's just not what I do so you know I think a traditional quilter would not think I have any skills at all so I guess quilting is a broad category you know tradition it's a Technically, it means three layers sewn together. So I, I in that sense, I, I make quilts. But 
think by the standards of most traditional quilters, I don't know, they would, they would look at what I make and be like, what, what is that? You know, I'm always drawn to the, the improv quilting. Mm -hmm, I have several books on it thinking I'm going to do this. I'm going to make 10 quilts. Well, I've made one and a half and I'm actually, I'm working on a third with some of my mother's clothing that I took after she died. Yeah. And she, she wore all exclusively like blue and white. So I'm putting together something like that. And it's, that's beautiful. I think that's great. You'll, and then you can take as much time with it as you want to, you know, just no rush. Exactly. So talk about this rug braiding technique that you learned and how you adapted it to your own style. Yeah. Well, I took this online class during the pandemic, you know, which was a great time to take online classes and it's a completely traditional rug braiding method. Um, which I never heard of, you know, of course, I, my conception of rug braiding is from the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. And I distinctly remember that Mary, the sister would braid it, and then Laura would have to sew them in a circle. So I thought that's what you did. But this technique just weaves into the coil. So there's no sewing involved at all, which I love. And it just goes, it's just a mesmerizing process. It just goes around in a circle and that's, it's a very satisfying meditative thing to do. And I was like kind of obsessed with it. And then just going in circles and I actually had a dream which, in which I went off, off the circle and started making these weird, you know, patterns. And then when I woke up, I tried to do it because I wasn't sure if you, in the dream, I was trying to figure out like, how is that done? It's, it's very simple. You just leave the circle and you just make an, another braid. And then when you want to reattach it, you just weave back in. But, um, and then I was, I, you know, I just totally love doing it. And it's just, it's, it's not meditative. I mean, I felt like every few inches, I'd have to make a decision whether I was going to keep going in the circle or leave the circle. And I was, tr I started to deliberately try to fight my normal impulses because my natural impulses are to make it symmetrical. I, I don't think I have that impulse necessarily, but when making these rugs, it's like, if I made a loop here, then I felt like I need to make them, make them, make four of them or make three of them evenly spaced. So I would deliberately try not to do that. And that was a weird challenge. And then, you know, and I wanted to also make it not look like a thing. Like I knew if it had five lobes, people would say it looked like a flower. Or if it had four, I don't know, people would say it looked like a turtle or something. And I also, so it just became this like contrarian exercise to see what I could make it not look like. But um, so that's kind of what was behind it. And I, and I, then I started making separate ones and attaching them together and, and then you could go really big. And um, I don't know, I, I still love to do it. I think it, I haven't exhausted the possibilities of that, but it's, um, I haven't done it for a little while. And it's a great way to use a fabric. Like you have the ugliest fabric and you cut it in strips and braid it and you can't even see what it is anymore. So I found that very useful too. Yeah, they're really loose and unstructured and organic. I had a vision of you. Actually, it's interesting that you talked about how difficult it was and how it wasn't meditative because it looks so loopy and organic. 
that it seems like you could just do whatever you wanted and don't even have to think about it, but that's not what was going on in your head at all. Um, and at the risk of telling you what it looks like <laughs> now, <laughs> go ahead, just do it. Well, they're very amoeba like, <laughs> you know, they're just like, they look like cells dividing, like in the process of dividing, like there's, there's so much movement to them. But I also, as I was looking at them, I thought, you know, all that space in between, I'm staring at them right now on my screen. Um, but all that space in between really feels like the space that we should be having. I don't know, in life, like there should be space around us. Like that looks like my life to me, messy, complicated, dipping in and out, weaving around, coming back, seeing that thread, the black thread go, you know, the black coil go all the way through and then come back around, but be bumped up against something else. Um, I don't know. Have you ever exhibited oh, that's so these? Great. I have actually, I had a chance to exhibit the really big one a couple of times actually. So, and that was really fun because until the, until it went up on that wall, I had never seen it on a wall. I mean, I don't have a wall that large and people, you know, people ask like, so when you, do you know it's done? And the answer is it's the size of my living room. Like I can't make it any bigger than that. And so it was really exciting to see it up on the wall because you can't really see something when it's lying on the floor, you know? Huh? Um, so I have had a chance to exhibit them, which is really great. Really. It's, they look different on the wall. And I mean, I went through some, um, they could be exhibited on the floor, but I just, I really, they're, I love them on the wall. I think that's, sort of where they belong there and and again it was hard to know what to call them because I could call them rugs since it's a rug braiding technique but that didn't seem right because I'm not sure that they belong on the floor Mm -mm. so if you can anyone can think of a better name I'm open to suggestions do you still have them all did you sell any of them no I you know I sold one um I sold one pretty early on and then the others I have not old no I do have them they're taking up a lot of room <laughs> how do you how do you store them oh you just dump them in a pile you dump them in a pile and they didn't then you shake them out you know they're really and when you hang well to install them you just I told I said to the guys just like just nail them up you know it doesn't really matter here's a picture you can't ruin them really you really can't ruin them and you just can put holes through it whatever it's totally fine so <laughs> And you can stuff them in a duffel bag. It's really, they're, they're kind of great. Are, there pli- are they pliable? I have a vision of those, you know, those braided rugs that they sell at like L.L. Bean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, they're totally soft. They're really soft. And part of the reason too is they're made out of a lot of, like they're old t-shirts and they're very soft fabrics. So they don't have any um, real shape. I, in the very large one, I did back the large circles in an attempt to make them sort of easier. I thought it would make them easier to hang. I'm not sure that it did, but, but I tried. They look really um, solid and stiff in the photographs. Not, yeah, they're not at all. They're really soft, very soft. Okay, one more thing. Let's talk about your Cairns. You said you were obsessed with stones, you and Rachel, right? Singleton? Yeah, I know. Yeah. That was so interesting. And, you know, I was just in Vermont, and I was – there's a woman who blows glass cairns and I had to buy them because they look, they're, they're very, I'm going to show some in my apartment with my 
fabric cairns and she was very interested in them for the same reasons um yeah i i mean i'm interested in stones i i'm interested in cairns because i read this article about how they're starting to take over and people don't like them like there's this huge cairn backlash who knew? Well, yeah, I know. Like, who knew that this, something like this could become controversial? But people go into the wilderness and they want to look at wilderness. They don't want to look at evidence of another person. And I totally understand that, actually, particularly when they start to take over. You know, you come to a, a place and you think, well, you, you have this delusion that you're in the first person to be in this place. And then there's all this evidence of all these other people who have been there. And and people feel a need to leave a mark in some way. And, you know, this seems innocuous enough. They're just the stones that were there. But it it's a different, it makes the experience different. So I started to feel like, you know, I, I think I won't do that. I think I'll just make fabric ones and keep them inside for just for me and not disturb the landscape, you know? So, um, that was kind of the thinking behind them. But the cairns are so interesting because they did serve a function, you know, many, many years ago in ancient times, marking a trail or marking a burial site or marking something. Um, they're evidence that we leave of our presence. And at a time when there were few people, that would be a welcome thing to come across. But these days, not so much. So I made my own. I mean, like anything else, it can become a controversial thing if too many people get involved with it. But um, I'm just interested in the idea of how we can leave, I guess, how we can leave evidence or how we can, you know, leave a, a, a mark without marring the, the landscape. What did you fill them with? Are they really soft and light or? You know, well, they're filled with shredded fabric. You know, like I just, when I have fabric scraps, I just shred them and use that for stuffing. So they're actually kind of dense and kind of heavy, but they're not, you know. Are they pliable? Um, More like a pillow. Yeah, like a very hard, uncomfortable pillow. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of your projects so far, and I want to talk about your 100-day projects a little bit. But before we do that... Let's talk about obsessions for a minute. I don't know if you've had time to think about this, but um, I always ask people to identify some sort of authentic obsession. Is there a through line that um, you can see weaving its way, weaving its way, see what I did weaving there? Its way, huh? um, yeah. Through all of your work or tangible, intangible something yeah. that yeah well, okay yeah I mean I, I that's a, it's an interesting question because I often think my work is so varied that I you know despair of there being some something that consistent about it but but I think and people have pointed out that it is a uh, reuse or you know reusing old things not just fabric I'm also you know really like paper <laughs> I like trash of all kinds it's kind of a problem but I think that would have to be what it is, you know, I see potential and stuff. And I, and I want it to be, I want to use it. You know, I want to find what that potential is. I think that would, that has to be the through line. And I, that's pretty consistent. I mean, most of my work now is 
made of old paper, old fabric, you know, stuff that had a, another life. So um, I think that would have to be it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I read where you wrote that you like to take something that's overlooked and look at it very closely, but also take something that is too frequently seen and look at it differently. I mean, those are very polar opposites, but also there's a thread right there that connects those two things together. Can you articulate a little bit more for me in well, a way I that I didn't? Of, I, I mean, I know, I, I think you did articulate it as well as I can, but maybe looking is the through line. I mean, I think looking at things closely is really, well, maybe that's what my obsession is. I mean, that's true for writing as well. I think that um, writing and drawing have that in common. If you have to know exactly what you're looking at before you can describe it, either in writing or in, in, you know, visually. And that's something that is hard to do, you know, to see something uh, not for what it, not for what it purpose it serves or what associations you bring to it, but, but really look at, you know, the thing itself. Um, it's hard. I do. I do. I've been doing some more life drawing. It's it's something I'm not good at, but it really forces you to look at something very closely. And again, try not to say it's a hand because we have a very, you know, stereotype idea of what a hand looks like, but just see it as lines and shadows. And that's how you can, that's how you're able to render it. Um, realistically. So I just think it's a, it's a great um, exercise. And maybe that's the answer to your question. I hadn't really thought of it, but it's looking, I think that's important. And I see something linear about all that too, that you are looking at, you know, landfill destined stuff, as you say, right. And you're looking at something, you're looking closely and then you're looking differently to see how you can reuse that thing in a project to make people appreciate it in a different way. Yeah. I mean, it's something that you really have to train yourself to do. I just, I, I've had an example in my mind of something. There are artists who do this, like they'll take something and transform it in a way that like, of course, I didn't even see that, but now that it's been pointed out to you, you, you see it in a totally different way. And it's because, you know, look, we, we have limited brain capacity. We can't reanalyze everything we look at. We have to, we can't go through life that way. You know, we, we categorize things and know what they are and don't question that. And that's normal. But, um, you know, every so often it really serves a, a great purpose to take a close look at, you know, take a closer look. And I don't know if this happens for you, but in those cases, it feels like there's this element of surprise that happens. And then this little joyful moment that is like, oh, you just get this little, um, I don't know how to describe the feeling, but this resonance or you're like me, or I see you too. I see what you're seeing too. And this connection, maybe it's a connection mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with someone else. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, Dashim with the resting face, right? <laughs> like 
he's going about his job busting gum off city sidewalks in New York. And along comes this crazy lady with a doll <laughs> who's taking pictures <laughs> and writing a story about getting gum off sidewalks. And he's and, like, whoa, never right. saw anything that weird before. So yeah. But but can't you just see the surprise and the joy and the long-term impact you had on him in that one little moment? Like I think <laughs> about all those little moments back decades you know and what stands out to me and it's those kinds of things so just keep doing that (laughs) you have done so many hundred day projects and I love when you were like well I didn't start on time and someone was like it doesn't matter just just do them like there's no yeah yeah um so you've done things on weaving plastic bags sea stars crayons recycle. I love to under yeah. reverse backside, which is taking photographs of things, not head on as you would normally see them again, looking closely and looking differently, right? You yeah. did that there. Yeah. The one line drawings really captivated me. So the thing you drew on was so different. I noticed paint chips and envelopes and what looked like old mail or magazines or catalogs you drew on a rock at some point. Talk about the one-line drawings for a minute. Tell us what prompted that. Oh, you know, I just thought it would be easy. I think that I, I think, yeah, I just, I I think I was, I needed, I felt a need to do a hundred day project and I was lacking for an idea and just seemed like a very obvious and easy one to do. And I think I introduced, I'm not sure I started off with the requirement that it be on a different support every day but that just seemed more fun and then I would incorporate what was on like if it was a magazine ad like use that ad and draw and add a person into it or something like that so it all it just made it more fun for me to alternate the you know what I what I was drawing on but I think I just started with it has to be a drawing and the one the I the one line aspect of it is another way of lowering expectations you know, it's more of a quick, by definition, it's sort of a quick thing. So if it's not good, yeah, well, it was just, you know, I couldn't lift my pen off the paper. So what do you want from me? I always try to build in an excuse for, you know, um, not creating something that good. And that's how I, for me, that's how you make it through a hundred days. You have to be willing to make something bad, basically. And that's liberating. But no matter what you're doing, showing that grid of the hundred things makes such a giant impact. If you were just to show me the back of an envelope with a drawing on it that you did and said, oh, I didn't lift my pen off the paper. Isn't that cool? I would be like, yeah, but it's just the bigger project. I think that gives it so much heft and weight, which is nothing new to anyone who's done a hundred day project, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the, the agglomeration of stuff that makes it, that makes it some into something. I did it once. I did a hundred collages. Oh, you did. So, you know, yeah, you know all about it. It was fantastic. And I really spent, you know, 10 minutes or less every morning. I just went downstairs. I had all my materials set up. I just grabbed some little bits of collage pieces that I had and little bits of paper, glued them on. And I was like, well, that doesn't, well, it doesn't matter. I'm done. My 10 minutes are up. I got to go to work. And so there was no pressure, no expectation, no overthinking, And it didn't matter because it wasn't for anyone but me. Right. And touching something every day really makes a difference. 
Oh yeah, exactly right. There's no, there really, well, there shouldn't be any pressure attached to it. Um, and I do think, yeah, making something every day is a great, it's, it's just, it feels good. feels good to use that muscle. So do you ever get stuck when you're in the middle of a project or eyes are getting very big? Oh, yes. so, so how do you keep the momentum going and keep moving forward? Are you stuck on a daily basis or like in what am I going to do for the next project or series? Well, uh, are, are you talking about a hundred day project specifically? Like anything of it or, well, the hundred, one thing that's good about the hundred day project is, you know, if, if you set it up right, you, it's a, it's an assignment, it's a task, you know, so you can pretty much always come up with something, not necessarily something good, but you can come up with something. So that's, and I think that's one of the reasons I like the project. If it, it's an assignment, you know, when I'm feeling very un like I'm not producing stuff or I'm feeling just kind of unproductive, then a hundred day project is always a good way to get me going. Um, I guess between projects, I don't, I, there are so many ways to come up with ideas, you know, I go on Instagram or I take a free class online or something. I feel like learning a new skill or a new technique is always a great way to jumpstart your creativity and um so yeah I don't I don't usually have a problem coming up with a new idea or I just try to organize my crap and that will put me in contact with a lot of you know stuff so that's um that'll that'll pretty much always send me down some rabbit hole or other talk about your studio a little bit so I, I actually, we have a little guest house and we were using it for guests. What a, what a funny idea. And then like, I guess last year I was like, uh, you're the guest. <laughs> no, it's still, no, it can still be a guest house, but there, there's a living room area that I took over for my stuff. Cause I just, it, I just was getting, so I just needed the space. And now, so now I do, I have this fantastic space. It's just it's big and it's sunny and I have no excuse ever, no excuse ever, because it's just really um, great. And still I have a hard time making myself go over there, mostly because right now it's such a mess. Um, but yeah, I do. I have a, a really, really lovely studio for which I'm very grateful. Talk a little bit about your relationship with social media. Oh, you know, I, I love social media. Okay. No, I, I only do Instagram. I don't do anything else. God forbid I would do a reel. Um, I, I love it. I just went to an exhibit last night by this woman, fantastic woman. She lives in Munich, but she, her husband's from this area. So she comes once a summer and we met because, well, basically because of Instagram. I mean, I'm part of a collage group. She found our collage group. She came to a meetup that we did on Zoom, but then, you know, she, and at that time I introduced myself and said where I was from. And then she followed me and she got in touch. And I mean, and you too, I mean, like, you know, I've just met so many great people through Instagram. I have to say it's so easy. It's free. You know, I just am such a fan. I'm just terrified they're going to change it. So it's harder to use or I'm going to get hacked or something. 
awful is going to happen, but um, I really am a huge fan of Instagram, I have to say. Nothing else. I don't do anything else. Um, but yeah. You're right, though. That's how we've we connected. And just last week, when you posted the picture of which we should talk about for a minute, <laughs> the wing chair, Oh, the wing chair, yeah. I, th- I think you posted on a story or something, and it came through and I reposted it. And I was like, this is too, I don't something just hit home for me. I think it's because of my impending birthday coming up. It's a big one. Yeah, and I had a vision is. of me, you have the chair with these, you can describe it with these wings, but it was in a field. And I thought I need to sit in that chair that feels like a throne to me, like a, a, a some sort of liminal space between 59 and 60. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be there at that point in New York, but, um, but I really felt this uh, deep urge to sit in that chair and I could imagine what it might feel like. So anyway, thank you to social media for connecting me with you and you posting that. And then I just reached out to you and said, you have to be on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so, and thankfully you said yes, but talk about the yeah. chair for a minute. The ch- Well, the chair is, gr- so I was in this, out- well, to back up, there's, there's this outdoor show at this farm about half an hour from uh, half an hour for me. And I've been going to see this show for years. And I have a good friend who's been in it. Um, her name is Natalia and she makes art out of plastic and she's fantastic. And, and um, she, last year she said, Oh, you should be in the outdoor show. And it's like, I don't make outdoor stuff. And she said, you make those starfish. I was like, the starfish are 12 inches. Th-. And I like, she's like, so make bigger ones. And it was one of those examples where someone, you know, a friend saw a possibility that I would never have seen. So I did. I made these giant starfish out of, you know, outdoor friendly materials like old umbrellas and picnic table cloths and things like that. And just like put them in a heap by the pond there and it was just like it was so great and I would never have thought of it if it weren't for her and so this year I so all year I knew I wanted to be in the outdoor show again so I just had my what I learned was I I think I I wanted to have something that didn't lie on the ground this time around because they I mean so it has to survive outside for two months and it survived okay but plainly you know they had like little muddy footprints all over it it which was kind of cute, but I wanted to make something that was more upright. And I know that that means you have to have some kind of base and I can't construct it because I'm not a welder. I'm not a, you know, so I had this chair, this really old chair, a heavy chair, metal, and the front legs curved so you could stake them into the ground. So I knew that I could use that as a base and I just didn't know what to you know, I wanted to have some sort of textile element. So I thought I would do these wings. And I was like, great, it's a great idea. Um, and I constructed the wings and, and like, they weren't, you know, so they have a metal frame to them. I'm not a metal worker. So I'm like, okay, they're fine. I put them, I reinforced them. I, they were in my garage. I like shook them around. They seemed fine. And I put, the, and then I went to install the chair and I put it out and there was like this very gentle, like light, benign breeze blowing and the, the wings just completely flopped over within 10 minutes. So, so, you know, and then someone suggested, okay, well, 
put a fishing line to the top and stake that to the ground. I went back and I spent two hours. And I, when you do that, what you do is you create a sail. And that's way worse because the wind catches it and there's no way you're going to prevent it from flapping around. So I'm like, just going to reinforce the vertical part and let them flap and hope they flap back into positions. <laughs> like, we'll see. I'm going to go see this afternoon at the opening and I'm going to see how they're hold it's holding up. Uh, yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning a lot. You know, textiles, you think of textiles as being... I think of textiles as being an indoor thing, but of course that's not true. You know, flags, sails, there's all kinds of ways that textiles live outdoors, but you have to know what you're doing. They have to have a frame and they can't be, you know, tethered that way. Anyway, we'll see. I'll let you know. <laughs> Please post pictures. <laughs> yeah, well, unless they're all collapsed and then I'll I'll post sad pictures, but we'll see. Oh, Oh, I'm, I'm holding out hope for you. Yeah. Do you think your priorities have changed over the years? Um, well, well, sure. I mean, it, well, in in obvious ways, you know, my kids are grown now. I don't have to worry about that. Um, I think I probably, it, it could be that I, I, I'm not that, I'm not ambitious anymore. Not really. I mean, I mostly just want to make the art that, um, that I want to make or that <laughs> that amuses me mostly I just you know mostly I just wanted to I want to be entertained you know I don't I don't I don't have would I love it you know, well of course I would love a bigger audience I would love to be more known about or whatever that you call that but I'm not driven by it anymore you know I really just want to make make things that that interest me and I think that's real. I mean I think I've been saying that for a long time but it hasn't really been true and now I think now that I'm almost 60 I think that really is true I'm going to ask the question that some of us might be thinking which is uh -oh. <laughs> I'm assuming that you don't have to make money from your art correct which is such a gift yes it is and I guess I was curious earlier when I was asking you did you sell this did you sell that um, have you ever been in a position where you had to make money from your art? I have not. I have not. And I was thinking about that the other day because a while ago I was sort of asking myself or writing down what I consider to be the hallmarks of what, what my goals were basically. And, and, and there, and my goals are, I want to be in shows, you know, I want, I would, I want to be, um, included. I think maybe that's the way to say it and I want to be um invited <laughs> um but selling was not a top priority for me and so I feel like I'm getting there you know I feel like I'm in groups that I like I'm participating in things but I'm not really selling I think if I were interested in selling I would do things a little differently um, and I don't really want to, since I don't have to do that, I don't really want to do that, but it was an interesting thing to think about because of course, selling is great. You know, it's a, it's an affirmation, even if you don't need the money, it's an affirmation, um, of what you're doing and I need all the affirmation I can get. So it's worth thinking about. 
can also really get in the way of creating though, because now you're constantly thinking about, would someone buy this? Is this something that I can monetize? Is this something I can do again and again, if people really like it? And am I going to be stuck with doing this again and again, if people really like it and they buy it? So there's a freedom in that way too. I think there's a freedom, you know, freedom, the downside of freedom can be, you're just sort of all over the place. I think, you know, any kind of limitation you set can also be a way of focusing. I, I mean, I sort of think if I wanted to sell more, for instance, I could make things a certain size and frame them a certain way. And, you know, I could consider how it would look in someone's home and how I could make them understand how it would look in their home rather than having this like soft, squishy thing made out of old t-shirts that, you know, you'd have to put a hundred nails in your wall to hang. Like, you know, I could, I could think that way a little more and that wouldn't be a bad thing just to think about what I do in a different way, which I'm always trying to do. So it's a good question. That is so interesting. If you're not selling your art and you're not making it to sell, Can you talk a little bit about conversations you hope are sparked with people who look at your work or reactions? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, I mean, I'm happy to have any reaction, really. I guess I that's an interesting question because I did have a a teacher once who um, said to me that my work was, I think he used the word domestic in scale. And and he said that what you want is when you someone to open the door and see your work, you want them to go, wow. And I was like, yeah, wow would be nice. But what about, I mean, I think I, I thought about that a lot. Like, wow would be a great reaction. But I think maybe I would, what I really want is um, for someone to be curious, you know, to, to want to come up and look at it more closely. So if that's my goal, then maybe I want to make something really small you know, which forces people to come in and really look at it. Um, so I think the reaction, yeah, I love it when people ask, actually, I, this is a craft question, but I do like it when people ask, how did you make it? Or what's it made out of? I like that kind of question. Um, but really any, any, anything that shows they looked at it would be, you know, awesome. I, I'm happy to have a conversation on, on, on anything really, but, but a con, but yes, the reaction I would want would be to have a conversation and not just have someone walk right by it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, or I, you know, I'm hit by it. I get it, you know, move on. Um, cause sometimes that is the, you know, when I see something really that just wows me, I'm not, 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 I, I don't always want to look more closely because it's the impact was so immediate and so strong. So I don't know. Yeah. Conversation. Do you engage other artists in conversation when you see their work? I try to, I definitely try to, I mean, and it's easy. Well, an easy way in is always the process. I think not all artists like that, but I'm, almost always interested in how did you do you know where did you come up with that idea how did you how did you do that um I I always try to engage with that um yeah if I if I'm lucky enough to catch the artist there it's great have you found other people who 
I mean, I know that there are other people who do things that are similar to yours, but have you found like a community of people who are repurposing materials and doing really unusual things with them? Oh, for sure. I mean, there are all kinds of people who are much more, um, uh, much more committed. I mean, I, I'm pretty committed. I never buy anything, any materials. I don't buy materials. I do buy tools, as I told you. Um, but I know people like my friend Natalia, whom I mentioned, she really just uses recycled plastic and she makes amazing work. Um, I saw another artist just the other day who made these sculptures out of plastic bottles and really just transformed them. There, there are a lot of people doing this kind of work. And um, I think it's really, I can't tell whether I see it all the time because I'm interested or if it is actually becoming a bigger deal. I think it is. But, um, you know, I could just be in my own echo chamber with this too. But yes, lots and lots of people doing it. It's, it's really, it's fun to see. That's great. Is there something going around in your head that's provoking a next project? Um, so not exactly. I, I did get, I have a residency coming up in November for two weeks where I'm, you know, just going to be <laughs> kind of terrified. Just me, you know, like in this place, not at home. And I think I, I've been think I have to come up with a, not really an idea necessarily, but a direction for it. Maybe I'm thinking I should maybe collect some materials or something. Obviously I can't take everything that I own and in a way part of the challenge would be just to have a limited uh, universe of stuff and see what I can do with it. So that's what I'm, I have to clean out my studio and I have to give some thought to this upcoming residency. So that's what's sort of on my plate right now. Do you continue to work on cairns or tapestries or quilts or the, the stitch faces? Do you continue to do that? I haven't done any of those things in a while. You really and I don't do like, a project and move on to the next one? Well, I guess I have a short attention span. I mean, I'm not done with any of those. I don't feel done with any of those things, but I sort of, I guess I sort of know how to do them. I mean, I think they, any of those things I could continue to do and learn a lot and, you know, expand on it. But I am a little bit, I don't know what the word is. I kind of want to move on to the next thing a little bit. So, but I wouldn't say I'm done with them necessarily. You know, I really appreciate that perspective because I feel the same way. I told you I did like a quilt and a half. I have one hanging upstairs on my wall that needs to be, it's, it's nine. The top is 90% finished. I would say I just need to like, straighten it out a little bit and figure out if I'm going to put it all together or if I'm going to pay someone to do the backing and, you know, sew the back and then I can start quilting it. And it's just been sitting there for like nine months. I mean, the other thing I feel like if you've lost interest, then you've lost interest. It's no big deal. Like you don't have to complete something, you know, at some point you probably, you might want to, but I don't, I don't really beat myself up with completing things you know I love you, that. Really, okay let's start a support group for people who want to stop feeling bad about not 
doing more or people saying, oh, you should keep going with that. And almost immediately I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, you might just be done. Yeah. Yeah. You might be done. You may have learned everything you needed to learn from that project and, you know, finishing it for what purpose, if there's a purpose or there's like a show or you want to give it to someone great, but for your own purposes, finishing something that's overrated. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to say that you want to tell our listeners about your creative path? Oh, gosh. No, you've asked me a question. That's too broad. I mean, you know, I'm happy to talk. I really am. But just like, I don't want to bore people. Um, no, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm loving what I'm doing. I guess I always have a little message about recycling and repurposing. And I don't, I'm, you know, it's, I'm a little, I'm a hypocrite, really. I mean, I produce as much garbage as anybody else in the end. And even if I make it into art, it's still going to end up in the ocean. So what good am I really doing? But I, you know, I, I really, I encourage people to just look around and see what can be made out of what's around you. It's just, um, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a nice way to be an artist. Yeah. And you have no excuse for not getting started. We don't have an excuse. If you look around, there's always something there we can use. You don't need the best palette of paints or paintbrushes or canvas or you don't. And that's another, I mean, a lot of artists now are working with the cardboard and all kinds of stuff that's yeah, you know, yes, it won't last a thousand years, but I don't want it to anyway. So it's fine. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that I loved most about our conversation was when you, there were a lot of things, but when you talked about um, like, why do I need to do it that way? your revelation talking to Heidi during that quilting workshop. And you were like, but how do I make the edges straight? Why do you need to? And just telling ourselves as we're doing something, but just to say, why does it need to be a certain way? Just trust your instinct, do what feels okay to you. And it'll all sort of fall into place. Yeah. Or an even question, why does it feel okay to you? Because I see artists all the time who just do something that I would never have thought of, you know, and I'm just, that's, those are the artists that really grab my attention, you know, even more, of course, I'm also often just impressed by people's ability, you know, technical abilities can be blown away by that. But I'm, I love people who just use things or create something that I would never have thought of. It's just, and I think it's because they question that, you know, maybe not consciously, but that's how they see the world. All right. Are you ready for our rapid fire questions at the end? Oh God. Okay. I guess so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Dude. It'll be fine. Okay. Um, well, so if you could sit down with another artist, who would you want to have a conversation with and what would you want to talk about? Oh, that's really hard. I mean, there's so many artists who are so amazing. Ugh. For some reason, I, I, there's so many artists, I can't even think, but, but I just, I did not long ago see this artist, Nina Kachadorian. I don't know if you know her work. She does this amazing, it's just, she's one of these people like I'm talking about. She did this whole series of photographs of her. She has a series, I can't remember what it's called exactly, but she, her rule is she can only use stuff that's available to her on the airplane. So she did a series of photographs of herself in the airplane bathroom, wearing like paper towels over on her head, like a, and they look just, and they look like master paintings. 
because that like that kind of lighting makes everyone look sort of sallow and unhealthy and then she's got these i mean they're so brilliant and they're just and they're still the idea is amazing and the execution is amazing and she does a lot of things like that and i just feel like i would just love to get to know her i don't even know what i'd ask her but just you know i just think she's an amazing amazing person so that's the name that comes to mind Okay, you have to send me your name and I'll put a link to her so we can all see what you're talking about. Okay, describe a favorite outdoor spot. Oh, I mean, I guess that's my backyard, really. Backyard, nobody there except my family. Green, very green. Um, pretty quiet. Yeah, I know that's boring, but that's 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 it, yeah. There are no rules. Okay, no rules. Do you have a comfort food? I, um, ice cream, any flavor. So, uh, yeah, okay. Not any, the ones that are like, okay, we got this sort of alcohol infused ice cream and it was kind of like soft, but also crystally. So that was no good. Other than that, any, any flavor ice cream. That's also boring. I that's kind of boring. Sorry. Ice cream's good. Do you have any mottos or sayings that inspire you you know that's i love this question like ma you mean like like be prepared or something like that i mean you know i i so i'm not really yeah i can okay so i'm not a big motto person but i i can answer this question in a number of ways i think um i I, because mottos you know they're just they don't they don't tell a whole story they're just kind of glib you know they're too easy and but i i had my niece when she was little whenever you you sort of try to tell her something she'd say yeah but like and I started to think of yeah but as like this word this kind of great word like yeah but means I acknowledge what you said and I'm going to completely ignore you now but I just think it's like maybe my motto is yeah but you know I I hear you but no um so that's one possibility but but so there, but there are some like pieces of wisdom that I, that have stayed with me over the years. So maybe that's kind of a motto. I, I mean, I can tell you uh, uh, the, the, the first one that comes to mind is um, from when I was in high school taking driver's ed and our teacher, our teacher's name was, well, okay. I think his name was Mr. Shrank. I, maybe I made that up because it's such a great name for a driver's ed teacher. Anyway, in my mind, his name was Mr. Shrank and, and he was actually, a, a, you know, like a, kind of a not not a nice person but what he said that stuck with me was you know keep your eye on the road because I mean there are many reasons to do that but but his reason was because wherever you're looking is where you will end up like if you're focused on the you know the oncoming traffic or the side of the road you will inadvertently turn that way and of course, he meant this in the most literal of, of ways, right? And I don't know if this is true, and I wouldn't test it. But of course, that's a really great metaphor, you know, and that's sort of the basis of more woo-woo ideas like manifestation, you know, like where you're looking is where you will take yourself. He simply meant like you will turn the car in that direction. Anyway, that's one of my, that's one of my good ones, I think. That's great. I love that. It's true. I think it's true. I don't know. And it seems like a very obvious thing, but yet I was like, oh, yeah, huh. I was kind of struck by that. So that's one of my good ones, I think. Okay. Carol, this was fantastic. 
thank you for our you guys listening was it a meandering conversation i don't know it sort of felt like it but it also felt like i was sitting in your backyard yeah you're gonna edit it a lot right i'm gonna edit it a lot people what you hear is gonna be a final crisp version <laughs> but thank you thank you for participating this was really thank fun you so much and you know we'll talk more at some point off the record i hope we will Oh, that was fun. Here are the takeaways from my conversation with Carol. Number one, ask yourself, why do I need to do it that way? Number two, keep your eye on the road because wherever you're looking is where you'll end up. Number three, take a closer look. Number four, if you limit yourself, you'll look at things in a different way. And number five, of course, look around for things you can reuse for your projects. Please tell a friend, write a review on Apple Podcasts, or buy me a cup of coffee to help keep this venture going. Details for that are on my website. All right, see you next time. Thanks for listening.